Isaac and his mother lived alone in a small house on a hill. Isaac kept to himself, drawing pictures and playing with his toys as his mom watched Christian broadcasts on the television. Life was simple, and they were both happy. That was until the day Isaac's mom heard a voice from above. Welcome to another episode of Square Waves FM. Today is episode number 68. We're going to be talking about, hopefully talking about, what it's like to uh, start gaming later in life. Um, but before we get into that, I'm your host, Bianca. With me is my co-host, Lionel Minion, etc. Brian. Say hi to the nice people and don't make a flatulent sound. Right. And our guest, uh, my father, John. Nice to be here for the first time. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, awesome to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. So this is going to be a good time. Yes, it is. All right. So before we get to our topic, as usual, we've got a couple of little news items that we wanted to chat about. Uh, John and I were just chatting a little bit uh, briefly before deciding to have the, whatever of the conversation there is on the air. So um, uh, you uh, mentioned reading in the newspaper about craftwork uh, and uh, them being in like a sampling lawsuit brouhaha of some sort. Um, I hadn't even heard of this other band. Have you heard of them? Which Oh, the one they uh, allegedly copied. I think it's an older piece of music. It is. 20 Sab- years or something. Sabrina Settler is the name of the infringing... Perhaps. Allegedly, artist and perhaps another German artist. You never know. Maybe, and it's uh, it says that she sampled Kraftwerk's song "Metal on Metal," which I'm not familiar with. She sampled theirs. She sampled their song. Oh, I thought. Oh, here we are. The 1990 song. It's a 1997 song. I see here. So I wonder why they waited 20 years. Well, maybe she finally started making money here. Could be. Maybe they were encouraged by some of the other uh, suits going on that have been so successful. Yeah, perhaps. Um, lawsuits of this sort have been going on since, I believe, at least the 80s. The first, uh, the first sampling lawsuit that I can think of was by DJ Jazzy Jeff, who uh, was like the compatriot of the Fresh Prince, Will Smith. Um, he sampled I can't remember now. I think it was like Stevie Wonder or something like that. And it was unattributed. And the precedent that was set that went on to uh, affect uh, similar lawsuits for decades was that um, the sample was of a certain, uh, like exceeded a certain minimum length, which I think was like half a second or something like that. And the fact that he profited from it and it was unattributed and he didn't clear the sample, quote-unquote, with the author or with the publisher or with the owner of the song. Do you have to clear it if you're taking only that minimum-sized soundbite? Yeah, um, sampling has become so prevalent in music that there's like a whole there's there's a whole uh, legal uh, thingamabob around that, that practice nowadays. Um, so it sounds like this is what was argued in court. Um, interestingly, the German court decided that... Um, although this Kraftwerk song was directly sampled uh, in uh, Sabrina's song, it was not an infringing use. 
So even though it was sampled in her commercial song that she did profit from, and my understanding is that she didn't attribute the sample to the original, uh, to the original artist, they for some reason decided that it was not an infringing thing that uh, was payable uh, with damages. I'll tell you something odd. You asked me here, invited me here to talk about gaming as a, <laughs> uh, what do we say? I forget it. Older adult. <laughs> But as an older adult, I can remember the first experiences I had with sampling regulations, which was on the football, the NFL football broadcasts. As they would go to commercial at, before the beer commercials, they would play out 10 bars of a song or something. Mm -hmm. And that's when it first came to my attention that they weren't paying royalties because they would never play the lyric. They would play the opening riff up to a maximum specific allowable number of seconds. Right? Mm. And that was copyright permissible, I guess you'd say. Yeah, because they do play, the, they would play, I imagine that's probably the first part of the sound that they would be playing in the stadium for the people who were there who can listen and hear the full sound. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh yeah, but that's something like that for a live audience. I believe that's like legally classified as a performance, which has its own, that kind of reclassifies uh, the licensing of music to something else. You need like performance rights, not just like to own the song. I believe, um, Restaurants that play music or that have a band that plays covers of songs also need similar licenses, and that recording industries in both America and Canada, at the very least, um, have people that just visit restaurants looking for infringing behavior, like uh, whether they're playing music and whether they paid royalties, which is a pretty surreal, kind of a 1984 ridiculous sort of a situation to be in, but that's just the... It's just the reality of the world. I guess mm -hmm. artists deserve to be paid. I don't know how much they are paid, paid for that. <laughs> Even that's like ridiculous. What's your job? Oh, I go to a restaurant and make sure they're not playing uh, copyright violations. Yeah, I go to restaurants to listen. The owner of Rocky <laughs> Raccoons up the street, which just closed, told me that he had that person come in one day. The person from ASCAP or BMI, whatever the copyright infringement police are, mm -hmm. came in and he said, okay, how many speakers have you got playing? Is that coming through one radio speaker or you got two? And Interesting. Yeah, because there's a rebroadcast uh, cost, too. You know? And they do go around to, like you said, restaurants and bars, and they check, and the musicians got to get paid, right? But they do. It's a, peculiar, it's a peculiar situation. There's a lot of laws enforcing and protecting around that kind of stuff. So I'm, I don't claim to understand it very much, but it's always interesting to hear when it comes up in the news, and especially when it comes up and a decision is made contrary to what we expect to happen. That's right. Hello, snuggle bird. I've got a snuggly bird that I'm petting and scratching like a little kitty cat. My Joey. A few episodes ago, Joey was uh, being rambunctious and was walking on my keyboard and she typed Tootie. So this is her... Fruity goes next, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this is her unofficial name on the podcast. She's Tootie. Isn't that someone on the Facts of Life? Anyway, <laughs> what do we have next on here? Oh, so two quickies. I apologize for not having more voluminous news content this week. I've been hella busy at work, and I will remain to be so for the next couple of weeks, or three weeks or so. So my apologies for the lack of news, even if it had occurred. Um, one interesting thing that happened this week is that GOG, good old games, um, they established some kind of a partnership with Steam. So that if you own certain games on Steam that are also available for sale on GOG, you can press one button to associate your Steam and GOG accounts, and um, your Steam purchased games will appear on your GOG library, and you can play them DRM-free. So that's kind of a cool thing, and GOG was cool enough to um, 
uh, specify, you know, the, the differences in uh, end-user license agreements and that sort of a thing, that some of your GOG information will be passed to Steam out of necessity for that partnership. So they're, as always, very clear and very respectful of the legal side of that kind of stuff. So when I associated my account, they only had about 20 games on there. Um, and I kind of regret, actually, now associating those two accounts, because I don't really care which of those accounts I play on, although it is nice when my internet goes down to be able to play a DRM-free game on GOG when I can't log on to Steam. But it is a good benefit. But it is, but my own habit anyway, which is maybe a unique thing, is that I mostly buy new games on Steam, but the old retro games I buy on GOG. So now that I've associated my accounts, I have some newer games on GOG, and it kind of muddied the waters a little bit, but whatever, it's not really the end of the world. But at least you can play those when DRM free too when uh, the internet goes down if it if it should. Exactly. Although it hasn't gone down in a while, for ever since we uh, stopped uh, our modem router com uh, our modem slash router from being you know two uh, two bit operation and turning <laughs> back to a one bit operation. Yeah, that's right. We for... haven't been dropping the connection like flies. Oh, do you want to do you want to describe that situation? Okay, a while back. When uh, we upgraded our, our internet connection to one of the fastest options available from our ISP, we got um, we were told that we couldn't grandfather in our existing modem. We had to upgrade. So, seeing that, that we weren't renting and that it was and that we were going to stay with our ISP for a while, we bought the new modem and decided to uh, disconnect our uh, Linksys router and go with this combination. However, because of some faulty software or hard, uh, yeah. What was it, like uh, hardware? Uh, it was software. It was the uh, firmware yeah, the, OS. The, yeah, the firmware OS for our uh, modem router. It was faulty, and it kept causing uh, one of the, uh, I believe it was the wireless connection to drop. And then that would drop the uh, Wi-Fi, which would then, ca- which would cause this, uh, the uh, modem. The modem would still broadcast, but we wouldn't be receiving... Uh, our le- we wouldn't, but the land wasn't responding. Which yeah. Well, what happened was, I believe, I believe the WAN would continue working, but all the LAN features, like connecting, like the network address translation between the modem and our computers, as well as the Wi-Fi, that would go down. Yeah. So we had a WAN connection, but to nothing. Yeah. So. So that was obnoxious. That we put up with that for months, and this is a Cisco uh, ra- uh, modem. So I expect a hell of a lot higher quality from Cisco of all companies. Yeah, and we kept being told, oh, they're going to put out a firmware update, firmware update. Never happened, so. Yeah, our ISP was at the mercy of Cisco, unfortunately. So I was frustrated we spent 200 bucks on this freaking modem. So we just plugged in an old router anyway, and now that we don't rely on our Cisco device to be a modem and router, it's been totally stable. How do we get on this topic? All right. Uh, Now we're going down and playing our DRM-free games. Yeah. Oh, well, so check out GOG.com if you're interested in associating your Steam and and uh, GOG accounts. Or if you just want some uh, retro games because you met the girl days of uh, 256 colors and 32 pixels. That's right. <laughs> and playing in a nice resolution of 250 by 325. That's right. All right, so the last thing I wanted to mention was... Um, Oh yeah, so there's a uh, humble uh, a humble bundle going on right now, the humble narrative bundle, which has a bunch of noteworthy stuff on there that I just wanted to mention. Um, so for a dollar, you can buy her story, which was my favorite game of last year. 
That was a really good one too. Oh, we loved it. Bianca and I played it together over three nights or so. We yeah. had a we we had a great time playing it, and then we talked about it for like days after. Yeah. Brilliant game. So that's yours for a buck. Point and click adventure. Oh, this no. was this this was a super unique game. This was a game where. You're not sure who you are initially. All you know is that you are at a police station and they've given you access to this old computer that has these like corrupted video files on it and you're you want information about a woman. And so you can see a few of these video files and all you have is a search engine. And but so you can see what types are associated with this so you kind of know where to start. Yeah, that's right. So what you can do is you watch a video, and the woman is all of this one woman being interviewed by the police. Um, and you can search for a word, and if the woman says that word in a video, then it brings up more videos. And you can put those videos in order, in the order you think they belong in, so that you can kind of stitch together this asynch asynchronous, uh, like, out-of-chronological order sequence into a sensible order, and then that sort of helps you make sense of the story from beginning to end. But did you say you don't know what you're looking for? You you uh, kind of learn who you are based on what this woman says about herself and her situation. You can, inf you can infer who you, the player, is. It's a very unique thing. I've never and seen a, a game of, like this. Yeah, and a couple of times in that game, you get a message from someone obviously in the station, but in a different location, asking you how your progress is coming. Oh, right, yeah, but that's just kind of bringing you back to reality. That's just kind of a framing device, sort of, for the... Yeah, but it kind of gives you an idea that... Uh, uh, that uh, but it helped point you to who you might be. Yeah, I thought it was just brilliant. The acting is brilliant, and the... I've never played a game where the gameplay itself is searching for words in a search engine. Because then you initially you start thinking of words like you find a word that uh, the, that the uh, woman says and look for more videos containing that word. Then when you can't really do that anymore, you have to think of words that you think she might say based on the context of the other stuff she said. And you have a progress indicator of how many of the videos you've uncovered. And so what's, the end, your, what's the that joke, but what's the resolution? Like, what's the what happens when you wind up? What, you what's your up. success? Yeah. You so really, all mechanically, all you get is just confirmation that you found all the videos. And there's, like, a button you can press, I think, from when you found half the videos or so. There's a button that you can press that basically says, okay, I win, and I get it. So it's up to you when you want to end it. If you're really frustrated with the last few videos, then you don't have to let that hold you back from seeing the very end of the game. But the it's kind of gameplay is its own reward. Uncovering these videos and viewing one teeny tiny little tidbit, it does this sort of a thing where you you, you she'll say one sentence and that brings the whole rest of everything else into this brand new focus and you see it through another lens. Yeah. And that happened over and over. And because it's this kind of open ended search engine, no two people that play the game will hear the story in the same order. And they'll uh, draw different inferences based on the order of things that they heard. It's just brilliant. Oh, I, you can, and just when you think you figured it out, it's you get as Brian says, you get this new, you get one more piece of information, and it becomes. But that doesn't line up. That doesn't jive. Okay, I guess we'll have to try looking at it this from a different way. And then once you have the whole thing compiled, it's just it's just mind blowing. Yeah, once you have them all, then you can sort of watch it like a movie. It was like two hours of video in the end. I think it took us about six hours to play. Yeah, and we were making notes and stuff. Yeah. It was just super duper brilliant. Okay, so what you can do is uh, put tags in and uh, remove tags so you can know what you've searched for. So if you're trying to find something, 
and you want to know what you previously looked for, you can easily uh, look for a tag that you made. <laughs> so, for a buck, we cannot sufficiently recommend this game. You just cannot go wrong. For a dollar, you get a GOG copy and a Steam copy, as well as read-only memories, which I've heard great things about, and Sibel, which I haven't heard of, but it sounded interesting from its description, whatever that is. So that's for a buck. And then for four dollars, or just over, you get Broken Age, which is the wonderful um, uh, Double Fine game that uh, is... Uh, it's very, very good. It's not perfect, but it's very good. Mm -hmm. There's another one called 80 Days, which I've heard is very good. And then Sorcery, parts one and two. Don't know what that is. And then for ten dollars, you get Shadowrun Hong Kong, which I've heard is a great role-playing game with an excellent story. So wow. I love these bundles. I can't believe the average of price has gone up because I paid less for that. Oh, for this one? Uh-huh. Was paid it this bundle? Yeah. Oh, it was. Yeah, it always goes up. I know. I got it right away, so I paid much less. Mm. I paid like three dollars. Yeah, this one is it's a variable price. The more people that, that pay into it, like it's the average price. So you can pay whatever you want as long as it's at least one dollar or four forty four or ten dollars. Mm -hmm. And the reason this is, for those that aren't familiar, the reason this is called the Humble Bundle is that when you make your purchase, you can choose how much of the money that you're paying goes to the developers of the games, how much goes to a certain charity, and how much is a tip to the people who run the website. And this is uh, from Steam, right? Not no, God. this is an independent service. Well, they sell... Because th Humble Bundle comes through Steam sometimes, doesn't it? It does. Often it does. And in this case, yes. Th uh, this is the Steam logo here. So every yeah. in this case, every one of these seven games that you get if you pay the maximum amount, they all give you a code to play it on Steam. So without any limitations. I have a question. Yeah. yeah. Dumb outsider question. Why did the Valve intro go away from when you opened the Steam client? Remember you used to see the Valve logo, the guy with the screw in the back? And oh, screw. that's when you're playing a game, that's not when you're away. No, oh, that, gone that's gone away entirely. That uh, shows when you're playing a game made by Valve, not when you open Steam, which is also made by Valve. Okay, all right. Maybe it was one particular game that I used yeah, to Yeah, usually Half-Life 2. It is good. Yeah, Half-Life 2 had that logo and its subsequent episodes. Yeah. The story goes, by the way, that whoever Valve's, like, filmographer or whatever uh, made that little intro thing, he just saw some, like, tubby bald guy walking on the street, and he's like, uh, you, uh, you're perfect. Can I, can, can we pay you, like, $500 for eight minutes of your time? <laughs> and it, it, that's how it worked out. That's, so that's hilarious. Yeah, so the guy made a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> just so I misunderstood. So Valve is the game developer, then? Yes. Valve is the game developer, but they are also the company that, uh, own, that owns and operates Steam. Oh, okay. So they do both. And when Half-Life 2 came out, the, that was when they introduced Steam to the world, and everybody hated it, because it was the first time, or one of the first times, you had to be connected to the internet in order to play a game. Before that, you just installed a CD, and you could be disconnected from the internet and play it, no problem. So people resented that very, very much. And for about two years, people really resented it. But then people started to see, oh, I'd rather download the game and not have to put a disc in the drive every time I want to play. I'd rather just press one button and play. And I'm assuming people were going with unlimited bandwidth and so on at that point, so it was less of an issue how much time you spend, I guess? Well, that remains an issue to this day. Unlimited bandwidth is a luxury that we in Canada, or probably especially in Toronto, uh, can reap the benefits of. But there are many places in Canada and the U.S. even, and especially in other countries where they do not get uh, a lot of uh, bandwidth that they can download per month or per second. Like, they have slow speeds. Like Australia, doesn't one of the uh, instead of uh, having a bandwidth cap, don't they? When you reach a certain point, they uh, they throttle your speed back. It, I'm sure it depends on the internet service provider. Yeah, but our I'm, our dear friend of the show, Ben Chandler. Hello, Ben. 
I he know. is visiting our other dear friend Francisco in uh, New York right now. And Ben mentioned on their podcast that while he's visiting in in, uh, in New York City, he's downloading all these gigantic Steam games that he can't download from Australia. He's mooching Francisco's probably <laughs> unlimited bandwidth. That's so funny. That is funny. I, I know people that would do that. They would bring their laptop to uh, work because they had bandwidth caps at home. They'd go to work and download all this stuff and then copy it from their laptop when they got home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's that's uh, Humble Bundle anyway. So that is just about what I've got in terms of news and stuff. Why don't we go right ahead to our... Oh, first, before we go to our topic, what am I, what am I saying? Oh, we have one uh, quick tweet from uh, the Space Quest historian, Trolls. Hello, buddy. And he tells us, Listening to Square Waves FM talk about being a technical writer, something I also do professionally, though not by choice. Oh, so I guess the beginning yeah, of the sentence is he was listening at the time. Yeah, so he was just listening to us, and it, it sounds, yeah, so it wasn't by choice. It's still a good thing to do. It's uh, it's, it's a not valuable. for everybody though. A lot of people hate it. True, but it's a good thing to do. It's valuable, and it's a valuable skill to learn because you learn how to uh, communicate. Because even if you don't know how, by the time you're done, you you've learned how uh, to communicate these ideas. Well, the problem is you always talk at point farm. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's right. right. You were a technical writer with the government. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a it's a job that some people just don't understand. It's, a lot of people, most people hate manuals. They hate reading manuals, and I think they assume that writing manuals is like 20 times as detestable a, a well, task. Manuals were traditionally so dry. I mean, they have to be dry. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, when I did work on them, we would even try to find a way to put a little zip, even using a name with a pun in it or something like that, in an example, just to give it a bit of spice because they are pretty <laughs> pretty lean. Mm-hmm. I remember you telling me when you worked on uh, the farmer's guide in translating from the from the Canadian tax code, you used to use that made up little scenarios that were more relatable yep. and that you would use people's names. Yeah, yeah. Just... An opportunity to uh, put make your own little narrative so uh, whoever was working on the guide that year could use whatever name they wanted. They could implant their own family and friends' names. Yeah. I used to I used to try to come up with uh, rhyming names like I had like uh, like uh, Jane Blaine. I, I started with John Doe but then I had like Jane Blaine and Jack Black and stuff like that. <laughs> I tried to just add a little bit of color. That's not very. That's probably not very. Well, I see you're adding. You're not adding very much color with Jack Black. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's the best you can do to color up your publication. You need to move on and get bigger, uh, bigger and better names or something. I know that's just about as punk as you can get (laughs) in a job like that. Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't put it in the notes here, but uh, uh, Joe Mastriani, who hi Joe, he also. mentioned that he had considered that as a career very seriously before going on to become a programmer. <laughs> so he's a coder by trade right now. And I, I forgot to mention it at the time, but I have described in the past technical writing as programming in the English language. It makes you're, sense. You're trying to find the most efficient way to uh, state a procedure. Yep, and, sometime, and uh, sometimes your uh, writing has bugs in it, in which case your bugs are grammar and misspellings and typos. Yeah, that's right. So you go back and you edit that, and then, yeah. you, re- and then, uh, and then you proofread again, which is compiling. I just read a good thing in the Atlantic Monthly about the, the two types of dictionary interpretations. There's the traditional and now then modern, more modern ones, which would accept things like ain't or instead of is not, right? Oh, sure. And, uh, 
you know, all the, the language use is changing, right? Even in, uh, in technical materials, I think. To I make think, it more, uh, more approachable, that's the word they like to say. It's got to be approachable, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, I think last year's Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year was selfie. Yeah. Which I know is uh, but they, they usually do a thing like that. They, they look at some word that has been especially impactful or kind of brought into the vernacular more, more that year than any other. But I think Oxford year. has even gone into grammar and usage, uh, not only words, but... Uh, yeah, you're right. The acceptability of split infinitives, which used to be a cardinal sin. You know, if you split infinitive, you're going to go to hell, you know. Mm-hmm. And now it's considered uh, acceptable because they're taking the way language is used and putting it in the dictionary instead of saying, this is the Oxford Dictionary, this is how you got to use the language. Yeah, exactly. I guess it's the philosophy of whether a dictionary dictates dictates or reflects language. Well, yeah. I think they're backwards. I think it should dictate, especially something like Oxford, where that was the benchmark you went to when you wanted to know the exact right way to do it. Right. If you went to OED, you would at least get no argument from people. It may have been awkward to say, but at least it followed the rules. So, I mean, kind of a traditionalist in that sense, because once you start breaking down grammar and syntax rules, it's hell to pay, you know. Very true. <laughs> the slippery slope. But, the, uh, but when it was first established in the uh, 1700s, there were no rules. There was no standards for spelling. For example, if you look at the American Constitution, the uh, U.S. Constitution, there are a lot of words spelled very differently than what is currently acceptable. Oh, just because that's that was their best guess at how it should be written? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So I'm sure, yeah, as John describes, that was the original intent of the dictionary in the first place. Mm-hmm. Samuel Johnson, yeah, this is my way. Mm. It my, was it Ben Johnson or whatever? One of the Johnsons, this first dictionary, Dr. Johnson. Mm. You know, this is the way it's got to be. Mm. Apparently he had one handwritten copy, and he used to take it to the bar with him at night. Obviously he never let it out of his sight. <laughs> there were stories of him misplacing his, you know, his massive big dictionary, his single handwritten copy, but he always managed to get it back. It's like the Guinness Book of Words <laughs> for posterity. <laughs> so this is the way. This is, this is the way. Yeah, well, it, as you say, with um, Oxford going into grammar and stuff like that, the big uh, shocker is that they're starting to let up on the Oxford comma now. Mm, yeah. They're saying is that the final one in the list? The, Oxford? the final one in the list and also um, kind of separating uh, statements within one sentence. They're kind of they're softening on it and saying that it's a matter of style. It's not really a rule. I forget one of the either Vonnegut or one of the novelists who says my 10 points of writing, you know, they list off the 10 rules of yeah. do's and don'ts. Elmore Leonard, pardon me, mm. uh, the crime writer, he said, commas and periods. That's all I need. <laughs> oh, that's a good quote. Oops. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, I've heard similar things about uh, about uh, typographical style, like uh, using um, underline. That's like the the, the dirty. <laughs> That's the dirty deed of typography. The rule of thumb is just think about any sign or newspaper that you've seen. You'll, you'll never see underlines in a newspaper. Only italics and and uh, emphasis are bold. So if you're going to use underline, slap yourself on the head. What are we talking about? I don't well, know. We're, we're on about, about, about language uses and. Yeah, careful. We might teach our listeners something. I know. We, right, we make the mistake of doing that from time to time. Uh, what's the word? I can't think of the word. <laughs> Didactic. Yeah, we're becoming. We're pontificating, I guess. Um, so. What did we play this week? Why what did we play this week? What did I play this week? Yes. Yes. No, I'm still sort of muddling through. <laughs> One of the uh, Call of Duty ones, the uh, not Modern Warfare, um, United Offensive. 
And I'm getting through it. It's mm. fun. It's uh, a lot of action and lots of weapons to start off. But I may, I've reached one of those unfortunate points where uh, you come to life and five seconds later you get one right between the eyes, right? <laughs> and you barely have time to duck and point your weapon before I get killed. So I hate going back and restarting a level, but I may have no choice. But I'm still going to have to get through this. It's just a tricky spot, but uh, the challenge is good and the targets are there. But sometimes you just have to go, you know, this one, you just have to go and not do anything. Just sit there for five seconds, see who your targets are, see who's shooting it, and then you go back in and you have an idea. Because if you're just fighting and shooting right away, you don't process all the background stuff about how many more targets you've got. Right? Yep. But it's, uh, it's as good as any other Call of Duty games. Lots of fun, lots of colors, lots of good Nazis and stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yep, I know that you got stuck in that foxhole at the beginning originally. It's funny, though, because you, you I don't know if you've had this experience where you go in 20, 30 times, you're banging your head against the wall, and you close it, you open it up the next day, and you're out of there in 10 seconds. It's oh, sure. Just, uh, you may see something on the corner of your eye. You may see, oh, there's another weapon or something that you didn't see before suddenly uh, comes to life. But, suddenly uh, zombies. <laughs> which? Suddenly zombies. Yeah, sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees. Sometimes you got to back away a little bit before yeah, you I've, get into I've it. liked all of the Call of Duty games. I like the... The uh, the early ones, they, uh, they I mean, they're all similar to a painful extent. I think. You know, oh sure. They don't have much variety, but that's first person shooter, I guess. No, those especially they call you and you got to be dutiful. Yeah. Well, United Offensive that is the expansion pack to the very first Call of Duty, and that might be my favorite Call of Duty game of all. That expansion pack It's so 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 good. But I replayed it again this year, earlier this year. And as you say, there are parts that are just punishingly hard. The very last mission of that, where you're in a train yard, and that's as much as I'll say about it, but it's very hard. Oh, I remember that. When I got pissed off, so I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to shoot these guys who under the train, and I'll, and I'll pass that way. That's what I did. That, yeah. was, that was what almost did me in with the first game I ever played, which was uh, Half-Life 2. Mm -hmm. The first level, first scenes, what have you, uh, you run through the little prison, you escape, and then all of a sudden you're in a train yard. And you're in over your head as a beginner. <laughs> oh, I know what you mean. Because you're being chased. Real, you don't know what. I'm climbing on top of the train. I'm going under the train. I did everything but go into the train where I could have found my, crowbar, my crowbar and fought yeah, sure. back. But, uh, well, even so, machine gun versus crowbar is a difficult fight to, to win, I think. Well, I found a lot of those games, if you use the melee approach, you can get right in close to them. If they don't get you first, if you can get within 10 feet of them, you can nail them with the melee, right? But, right you are. That's true. So that's a very good one. Any, anything else that you poked around with in the past week or two? Um, I had a look. Oh, I did the first episode of the Game of Thrones pointed click, which was really good. Mind you, I was a little slow. I got so wrapped up in the story that I kept forgetting to answer the questions. I'd be sitting there going, oh, really? That's, no, that's, 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 oh, that's the Stark? So, and all of a sudden I would say, oh, by the way, the question rolled by. And they say, well, you didn't answer that question. You know, she didn't approve of that, you know. Yeah. Sometimes it's not answering, in at least in the, the game you're talking about, it's a telltale game, by the way. Not answering is a valid answer, but for Cersei, you got to answer her, because she's a bitch if you don't answer her. Yeah, yeah. And, but it's fun, it's a slower pace, because I was mostly a first-person guy, but I liked it because... Uh, as it went along, I started seeing characters I recognized. Yeah, you get a lot of characters you recognize, but then you get some you don't. Yeah. And the action is pretty 
you know, mundane, the, the fight scenes are not exactly challenging. You just got to sort of target the chest or target the weapon or duck. But yeah. It's not an adventure. It's not a fight game, though. Yeah, it's an adventure game. Mm-hmm. So the so, yeah, fight sequences are meant to give you a break from just straight-up dialogue, give you a little something without being really hard. Uh, it was interesting to see the, the faces of the animated characters, uh, the CGI characters, because one of them looks so much like the the person in the television series. Yeah. Yeah, one of the sister, one of the the sister. Pardon me, the sister of the fellow who married the king, right? The sister of the fellow who married. Remember the guy, the the young king, gets married, right? Sansa. Is the king of Sansa who married Joffrey? Mm, <laughs> no, but wasn't there another sister, Olivia or something? Um, Arya is the younger sister. No, this is the. the there was a fellow. Who was he? Was gay and Lars, he, his Lars sister of yeah Marjorie. Okay, anyway, Lady Marjorie, Marjorie in the, the game Pyrrhals. looks great. She looks exactly like the actress. She's even got the little dimples in her cheeks and the turned up nose and the whole thing. Oh yeah. But I lost track of my characters there. There's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, you uh, you primarily play as you will be playing only as foresters, and there's three foresters you play as. But it's a it's a it's a different uh, approach entirely from you know again from first person per, first person a little more peaceful leisurely you sit back and you let it unfold you're not the cause you're the audience mm-hmm. true and you're not being shot at by uh, by uh, constant, by uh, infinite responding Nazis because you can't walk two steps forward yeah that's right if only they told you the story of the infinite responding Nazis they'd give you a chance to breathe you know but they're just relentless and they don't, <laughs> they don't have a tale to tell yeah it's pretty like the clowns coming out of the circus car just the yeah. supply of stormtroopers yeah that's right bozo after bozo well I'd never seen the stormtrooper until uh, again that was Half-Life 2 because they're right at the beginning that's your first opponents is yeah. The oh yeah that's with the, the, the uh, shields over their faces and the stuff. combine and I was okay with stormtroopers I like shooting stormtroopers I like shooting zombies, right? Mm-hmm. But I think I told you, when I got to, uh, I think it was Medal of Honor, that's the first time I actually shot humans and saw heads splitting open and blood pumping. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of creepy. I didn't really like the idea of shooting people for a while. But then I got used to the idea that they were all Nazis and terrorists, and I started <laughs> to enjoy it. Right? But it was, because up until then, I'd killed, again, zombies, head crabs, uh, sand uh, ants, right? But no uh, actual human beings. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, it's a that's that's a kind of a line that's been uh, discussed a lot in terms of like morals and ethics, and even in law about you know uh, how old a person has to be before they can uh, not only watch something like that but like participate in it, press the button that makes that happen. I often forget about the age restrictions on games because a lot of times if I meet kids at a family thing or you know a ten year old, eight year old, whatever. I say, oh, so what games do you play, right? Because it's at least something you can talk to them about. Mm-hmm. And then they, I mentioned the games I play, and I say, you didn't play that one? They said, well, no, it's uh, restricted. <laughs> mm-hmm. It never occurred to me that, you know, things we play, a lot of kids can't play, right? Yeah. I felt badly. I um, At the time when my uh, younger cousin was about 10 years old and visiting us in Toronto, I showed him Half-Life 2, just the very beginning. And he was super into it at first, and then... As you guys know, in Half-Life 2, like, you know, the first little while you're just kind of seeing the sights and, like, walking around and participating in the experience. But, like, at the drop of a hat, all of a sudden you're being chased 
by all these scary, aggressive, angry people. And, like, this 10-year-old cousin of mine, he was starting to, like, get kind of upset about it. It was just something that was starting to affect him. He was empathizing with the situation. I felt badly about that. It was something just like you. It's something that I haven't had to think about in so long. I have to admit, I got a real shiver the first time I got attacked by a head cramp. <laughs> I didn't oh, want sure. to get a spiny tingle from those things. The zombies? Mm-hmm. You know, Ravenscroft, that's not a happy place. That's, that's where right. they tell you not to go there. That's right. It's not a Wrong happy side place. of the tracks, baby. Well, Bianca and I, when we played, uh, we, when your mom was visiting, we showed her Call of Duty. We played some cooperative thing. Yeah. And we were blasting away the human beings. No problem for her. And then they send the attack dogs. And uh, uh, I, like, stabbed a dog, and she that's where she kind of shuddered a little bit. <laughs> so we all kind of have our, our triggers, and there's one, there's, we all have something that will make fiction, you know, resemble reality a it's little bit too, too closely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that's the power of fiction. Even, uh, yeah, cause some, and then even the written word, if you have a good story, it gives you that effect. Actually, when you get mm-hmm. to the end of Half-Life 2, when you get to the tower, you do see humans. Mm-hmm. You actually encounter humans, but I don't think we kill them off. I think we just sort of destroy the tower and move on. I don't remember getting yeah, rid of Yeah, you, you join the in the, the, you, I think you they survived, the, didn't they? Yeah, you join yeah. forces with the humans because you're trying to save them. Yeah. Except for that one bad human. But yeah, him, right. he's a terrorist. He's a jerk. Yeah. Anything else you play? Oh, I played... Uh, well, I played the the bing-bong, pingity-pong games like uh, Quest and Peggle, and uh, they're uh, they're so low-key that they're very relaxing, because I could actually get quite hyper when I was playing those shooter games. You would actually get anxious while you're playing them, because you get so wound up trying to do well, and people tell you, I tried the Peggle and uh, uh, Quest uh, games, or pardon me, the not, what's the other one besides Peggle that we were talking about? Well, the stuff drops, it's like Tetris, right? Anyway, they're okay, yeah. but it's just uh, something I would do to slow myself down. But I couldn't get rid of that hint. You know the game your mom plays? What is it? Oh, Candy Crush? No, it's, again, it's the one that's like Tetris. Hmm. Can you be more specific? Bejeweled? Yes, Bejeweled. Ah. Bejeweled has a function where there's a hint, a clue, if you don't guess which tile to move after 30 seconds. Ah, yes. Do you try to turn that off? Very difficult. I've turned it off several times, and then sure enough, the hit pops up, and you don't want the hit right Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, well, Bianca, how about you? What have you played lately? Let's see. Playing something right now. Yeah, I'm venture capitalist, as usual, just uh, playing it because I did a couple of resets yesterday. yesterday. Did we talk about the beta test that we did? Uh, no, but I think those were a closed beta test, and I'm not sure if we were supposed to sign like non-disclosure agreements or well, something. Well, we didn't. There's no NDA on that. It was just a it was just a polished uh, test. Oh yeah. Well, we don't have to say much about it, but you want to reveal the name of it? Okay. Yeah, I play Adventure Communism. <laughs> yeah, Adventure Communist. Yeah. <laughs> and you played the RuneScape one. I played yeah, and later I got into Adventure uh, Communist. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, the Adventure Communist is. Uh, you grow potatoes, you use the potatoes to get workers, you then combine potatoes and workers to get miners, you combine the workers, potatoes, and miners to get something to get army, then you combine army, miners, potatoes, and workers to get your medical corps, then you combine the medical corps with all this other stuff to get your science, and then you move up from there, because that's how communism works. Right. <laughs> what was your opinion of it? 
for the proletariat. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, screw the proletariat. Did you enjoy the game? I pulled my weight. <laughs> this is the lady who loved Papers, Please, where she got to be the communist border guard. Yeah, that's right. That was a brilliant game. It was. That was a good game. Well, I, I, I was kind of so-so about it. I didn't like it that much. My feed, they, they asked you to fill out a uh, uh, survey about what you thought of the game and what you thought of the, the tone and stuff, and was it disrespectful because of the name and the, the, the uh, subject matter and all. So I told them, I told them I thought the subject matter was, it didn't have to be respectful, it's a game, and it was cute, and it was just a, set, a setting like any other, but my biggest advice to them was, uh, their primary game, Adventure Capitalist, the name itself suggests that there's victory through accumulation, that the goal of the game is to amass wealth. But for the title of the game, Adventure Communist, there's really no idea of what your goal is, and I felt kind of lost in the details and in the objective of the game. Collect potatoes, Vasily, grab that potato and throw it through the window. <laughs> Not another Vasily. <laughs> yeah, every every shooting game is a Vasily <laughs> with Bianca around. <laughs> and Captain and the Sergeant Sergei Reznov. Reznov, Krapnov, as I call him, because I'm sick of him. Anyway, uh, what else do you play? Let's see. Um, played, played a bit more of uh, Call of Duty uh, Black Ops Three. Yeah, only a bit more. Yeah. I'm playing that bit by bit. It can't, it's, because I got set back a bit in this one chapter, so it's a lot more difficult than I thought, remembered it being. Oh, sure. Although we just learned that the, it seems like, if I'm not, unless I'm mistaken, the main campaign can be played in co-op. That would be pretty cool. That'd be awesome. So whenever it gets to a reasonable sale, like 30 bucks or something, I'll buy it and we can play it together, perhaps? Sure. Cool. What were you playing this week? I'll get there. Oh, okay. um, let's see. <laughs> Sorry. I <laughs> didn't mean to jump the gun. Sure. Yeah. What else did I play? Well, I started playing Nightmares from the Deep, the Cursed Heart. Uh, yeah, more find the shit. More find the shit. I'm a museum curator. My daughter's been kidnapped by the uh, resurrected corpse of Captain Henry Remington, who was resurrected because I gave him three artifacts, a sword, a gun, and the uh, cursed amulet that he was wearing. And now I, and then I was on the ghost ship as it went back to Skull Island, and now I have to stop the wedding between him and my daughter, because he's using my daughter to resurrect his dead wife, who, along with several other people, including Remington, was massacred at a ball that was originally meant to be the wedding for Remington and the daughter of the captain, leading the English, who massacred these pirates at Skull Island. Well, it, quite a summary. <laughs> it physically pains me to hear the story of a Find the Hidden Object game while I have the humble narrative bundle <laughs> a page open behind here. I'm happy. I'm happy that you enjoy yeah, playing these games. Yeah, behind me, I have the Artifacts Money Bundle open up on Indie oh, Gala. Gosh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, I yeah, paid yeah. three bucks for over a bunch of games that I didn't that I need that I didn't already own. I'll add this stuff to the show notes. We'll we'll uh, link that. So, humble narrative bundle and Artifacts Money Bundle. Artifacts Money Bundle. If it's not good enough that you just find a bunch of crap lying around, but you got to know why you're finding the crap lying around, you got to save your save your ghost wife from the pirates. <laughs> so you got to save your daughter from the pirates, who is going to be turned into the ghost wife of Captain Remington, who was massacred by the English because he had uh, pirated across the seven seas and stopped slave traders after he himself had seen slave trading and some other horse shit, which I'm finding out by giving a monkey holding a chest some dublins. 
Doobins. Doobins. I don't know. The Gold the coins. Woohoo! Yeah, that's right. The only Doobins. way to save your daughter is by finding a hard-boiled egg and a sextant. <laughs> You're a sextant. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, what else have I played? Let me see. I wrote, I wrote some stuff down on my list. Oh, yeah. Sims 4. I decided that um, I wanted to have a bit of a challenge, so I put my sixth generation, uh, my sixth generation, my sixth generation family on hold, which, by the way, now is so messed up because one of my Sims got abducted by aliens, and his daughter has his daughter's mother is also the daughter's great grandmother because the because the alien also happened to have abducted the guy's great grandfather. Your Sim story sounds exactly like your dad's Game of Thrones story. <laughs> oh my gosh! The one game I'm always amazed that the two of you play is that Binding of Isaac. Oh yeah! The lovely mother locks this kid in a dark basement. No, he jumps into the basement to escape his mother. Oh, even better. <laughs> and then you wallow around in the ba- underground with him. I mean, it just... Yeah, that's right. Killing monsters with your little, tears. I mean, I'm all in for the dark side, but that's, <laughs> you know, a little too dark. But then, for, you know, when, <laughs> then after you defeat moms for the first time, Bible falls off the shelf, hits her on the head, she passes out. That's the game I play while I'm riding my exercise bike. That's kids how against, much that affects kids me. Kids against parents is a great theme for. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. But you see, it's kids really interesting because animals. it's the because <laughs> it's all about this Isaac's mother, who's this religious fanatic, and all the and all and it's all religiously themed, and it's supposed to be you know honor thy father and thy mother, but his mother is a psychopath who is going to uh, kill Isaac. In fact, they even have reference to uh, the lost, which is a ghost, which is supposed to be. Which seems in in Cutsy talking down from the ceiling at Isaac's mother, who she believes to be God, but is actually a ghost instructing her to kill her son. Do you actually see Isaac's mother, or do you just hear her voice? Come oh out? no, you see her in oh, the yeah, beginning. She's in the opening cutscene, yeah, and she is two of the bosses. Oh, she's a real bad mother. Yeah, that's right. She tries <laughs> to stomp you, and then you have to defeat her throbbing heart later on. Well, I just thought there's so many. Happy games I could play. And here's this again, this kid in the basement. And even the, the title, the word binding, it has this nasty, you know, you know, mass or sadistic overtone to it. You picture the kid tied to the gas furnace. You know? Oh, sure. Well, the- <laughs> well, Abraham tried to kill Isaac in the Bible. Cause- yeah, that's what it's the reference to. That's what it's the allusion to. There's a lot of like biblical allusions in this game. Was the, Isaac uh- Abraham's son? Yeah. Well, it's an allusion to it. The. Um- creator of the game, his parents were like fanatically religious uh, like born again Christians and he was always fascinated with the mythology but never really bought into uh, like the, the morality etc of it like the actual, like he didn't really believe it but he loved the stories and he loved the uh, the uh, like the visual whatever, the iconography and all of that kind of stuff, so he wanted to utilize that stuff in his game, so there are a lot of biblical references and mythology and stuff in the game, but it's not really evaluative. It's not saying that it's good or bad. It's just a story involving those things. Yeah, because, I mean, you can, you can play as Eve, Lazarus, Cain, Abel, Maggie. So, like, from Sister uh, Magdalene. Magdalene? Yeah. Maggie. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's kind of informal. <laughs> what was that song said? God said to Abraham, kill me his son. Yeah. He said, God, where do you want this killing done? Yep. He said, do it out on Highway 61. That's right. <laughs> do it on my hard drive. 
So, let's hear about The Sims. Okay, so, I decided to put my, my sixth generation family on hold. Oh yeah, but, be- but before I put it on hold, I got the uh, the guy in charge of the family managed to have, let's see, so he had the one daughter by result by being, after being abducted by aliens and having, and uh, and uh, so the kid ha- is like half alien, half human. Has, uh, how many, I think six kids with a townie, and another, no, not six kids, Four, uh, three kids with no four kids with a townie and another thirteen kids with random female townies. That's a lot of townies. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a lot of families. Yeah. So how many kids does one person have? Is uh, one man sixteen or seventeen kids? That's gross. <laughs> All these illegitimate children around the city. So pretty soon you're going to see like similar facial traits amongst random passersby. All yeah, the and world. then there's the and then the mother Luna, who I who I mar- who I married into the family who had been in county. I cloned her at the lab, so there's like there's uh, six clones of her running around. So there's seven of her in total. And, and didn't you dress them all in the same clothes and everything? Uh, no, when you clone them, they automatically are dressed in the same clothes. Yeah, it was and, awesome seeing like seven of them in the same room. That was freaky stuff. Oh yeah, I think I have an image of that. I think I do actually. I should uh, we'll put those in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, here we go. So, uh, right. You're putting in the show notes, then, yeah. Give it to me later on. Yeah, so there go. Look at that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight identical human beings wearing the same thing, looking they the look same like as those old religious singing groups. It's like, up with people, y'all. You know, <laughs> yeah. they, they look like a gaggle of aliens. Break into a musical version of the Lord's Prayer. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I originally sent her to work to salvage her husband's corpse after he had been electrocuted. And this is the guy with the 17 children. And in this one, she had already been knocked up once, so I don't even know if these other women were also... Oh, I wonder what happens if you clone a pregnant woman. Do they all have babies? Probably. Will you do a science experiment for us for next week? Double trouble. (laughs) Yeah, well, octuple. And what if they have twins? No, gosh. Alright, we have some science to do. (laughs) Yeah, so... I saved this game, and then I decided to actually try the Legacy Challenge. These were started back in Sims 2 when you could act, when they actually introduced babies, children, and teenagers. And so you could build a whole family tree in the Sims. And the core objective was to reach 10 generations by adhering to a set of rules. So the Sims 4 challenges, no, che- no cheat that gives you an advantage. Uh, no using the in-game cheats. Mods and custom content are allowed when they don't give you an advantage. Um... And you have to you have to start off on a fifty by fifty lot. You cannot move the family off the lot at any time. The family and you have to bulldoze any existing building on the lot when you first move the family and then build from scratch. So essentially, the purpose of a legacy challenge is to impose additional restrictions to increase the difficulty. Yeah. And then you have a whole bunch of people playing by the same like arbitrary but the same rules, and then you kind of. Either document your experience, or you just share your experience and see. It's not a competition, but you just kind of play along those guidelines and see who does better. So you have a whole bunch of freaking screenshots, <laughs> and you've actually been blogging and recording your your story. Where? On Tumblr. Oh yeah, you're gonna uh, you're gonna give me the uh, link for the show notes. Sure. What do you call your Tumblr? Um, I'll just stick it in the show notes right now because I have. Oh yeah. You, you can do that. Yeah. What, what's the name of your Tumblr blog for this, though? Shields Legacy. Oh. 
Yeah, what? Oh, suggest- Shields being the name. So yeah, what was my suggestion for their son's name? Panty. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, you're. I'm like, no, I'm not entering that. I enter a name, and then another name, and then another text box pops up. And you're like, how many is this woman having? So. <laughs> This legacy is off to a pretty bad start. They had so she and her husband had one kid. I'm like, okay, one kid, that's a good start. I want I want them to have two kids. I'm like, okay, we'll give them two kids. Seems like a nice number, you know, backup in case the first one uh, uh, fails at life. Okay, <laughs> which it probably almost did a few times. Oh uh, yeah, my kid caught on fire, but we'll get to that. So then <laughs> they, so then I have them. Uh, so that, so then they have they want to have another kid. Already catch fire. Uh, standing in a fire after setting the chemistry lab on fire because there's a chemistry lab for children to play with. Because if you have taught, yeah, there's a chemistry lab for children to play with. There you go. <laughs> I can't, I can't make it more succinct than that. <laughs> Unsupervised. Yeah, that's right. That was quite the blaze while two parents were at work with their several children home alone. Yeah, four kids were home alone at the time. I know this is like worse than a Macaulay Culkin movie. <laughs> yeah, and the parents come home. Dad fights the fire. I leave mom outside because she's pregnant with twins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so first, so I had the first kid. Second kid, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get one. But no, I got three. And then, because I forgot that I enabled something to make my, uh, I, ha- I enabled something in a mod that actually makes it more challenging for me, she wound up pregnant again because there was a risk chance that the uh, birth control would fail. So she wound up with twins after that. So they have six kids, a house the size of a matchbox. No money. <laughs> no money. And the kids and two kids have set the fire the house on fire on two different occasions. Yeah, what little money you have, you spend replenishing the items that get burnt by the inevitable <laughs> flames. Yeah, and my bathroom gets broken every day. You're a natural-born mother. <laughs> <laughs> bathroom gets broken every day, and there's no money left to pay for anything. Three of the kids share a room. But is aren't you going to send somebody out to work? Oh, yeah, the parents both go to work. Both yeah. parents go to work. They come home and uh, fix and stuff. Six kids don't come cheap, I guess. <laughs> nope. Uh, uh, two of the ba- two the babies sleep with the parents. The, the three boys sleep together, and the girl gets her own room. <laughs> oh, so speaking of Sims, I guess we could have mentioned in the news that they Max just added a new feature this week. Yep, and I put that and I included that in my legacy: the ability to change genders and uh, choose what features you want for your gender. You can either be straight as a uh, you can either pick just male or female, or you can actually custom customize your gender. So you're like, you have female genitals, and you can reproduce like a female, but you've got a masculine build. Or you can, uh, you know, you have you're completely infertile, like you can't reproduce, but you got um, a female build with uh, ma- with male parts. So this is art imitating life because now there's so much legislation and discussion about openness for transgendered issues and everything else, so that it becomes part of a topical gameplay. Well, yeah, this yeah, game not is... Not tropical. <laughs> topical. <laughs> yeah, The Sims is supposed is uh, supposedly uh, trying to be more open-minded that they are, they had allowed gay marriage in starting in the third game and... I think starting in the first game. Mm-hmm. No, they allowed same-sex relationship, but they didn't allow marriage. Oh, you might be right. Marriage came in Sims 3. Okay. First comes long day come marriage, then comes Bobby with the baby carriage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had... Um, in The Sims 2, they didn't call it marriage, but you could have a union. A civil union. Oh, that's right. That's right. So they do sort of keep it up to date with the times, don't they? In yeah. their uh, blog entry when they were announcing this feature this week, they said that The Sims is put together by a diverse team, and they want to extend that diversity 
to the confines of the game. Yep. And they added one more other thing in this patch that wasn't that's, that wasn't mentioned in the patch notes. So if your sim has a relationship that's not a marriage, like just the fiance, like they're either engaged or their girlfriend boyfriend, they can. They don't have to break up anymore. There's an option to uh, let's take it easy and just be friends. So that way, oh, you, really? yeah, they added that, so you're no longer stuck in a relationship. Going well, I don't want to hurt them. They're a nice person, but I don't want to be in a relationship with them. That's extremely cool. Yeah, so they added the "let's just be friends" option. Yeah, that's the best thing that The Sims does. Is that when you're controlling a character, you can click like anything anywhere, and you're always surprised by how many things you can do to interact with anything else. Yeah. Is there any value or evaluation placed on how nice a person your character is? Uh, nope. Not nope. really. Okay. That's the best the best part of The Sims, and that's the most... It's the most polarizing thing of The Sims, is that there's really no objective. It's a simulation. There, it's, it's not... It's a game, but it's really a simulation. There's no conditions for winning or losing. You just play it in the way that you find satisfying. Mm-hmm. And that's why the legacy challenges are fun, because those are your... That is an objective for you to, to try and get. Mm. Good, good, uh, good segue, good analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or there's other. There's also the apocalypse challenge, which is, you know, there's app. You start up. The rules are really strict on that one. You start with absolutely nothing, and you have to rebuild this society. You get the squish peasants as you go along. Oh sure, you can play death mode, which is what I like to do. You create a house, the smallest little house possible. One bed, one shower, one, one toilet, one sink. No, fi- no fire alarm. One counter, one stove, one bridge. Eight Sims, and let them go crazy. One bathroom. Oh, yeah, that's always a fun one. Take a number. We call this, I call this the insane asylum. I've done it across all the expansion packs. You just create too many people and too few resources, and you take your hands off the controls and see who snaps first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always amusing. It's like having your own reality show. It's like, whoever, the way you get voted off the island is by dying. So whoever lives. What happens when they snap? Do they. Ostracize a family member. Or oh, sometimes they'll fight each other. They fight. Yeah, they'll like fight. They'll, they'll brawl. Oh. But you'll see like this cloud of dust, and they kind of, so uh-huh. they kind of make it comical. Like the cartoon, <laughs> the cartoon fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, we have a bad bird. She's gonna go in her cage. I think our producer might have just got bitten on the navel. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I got a finger full of beak. Fingers not supposed to be full of anything. <laughs> yeah. So, and I also this week figured out how to get to one of the hidden areas. There are three hidden areas in the game. Two in the base game, one once you have going to work. Or no, get to work. Sorry I'm snickering. I'm just noticing that uh, when Joey walked on the keyboard, she changed Artifacts Monday to Fartifacts Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping it as Fartifacts. I don't care. Why do that? I don't care. All right. Are we still talking about the games you played? Yep, and I think I'm done. I think so, too. <laughs> All right, well... I I've been I've been really busy and pooped out from work this week. I'm extremely busy with work, so I've kind of turned my brain off this week. So really, the only two games that I played, uh, one is Clicker Heroes, which is a game I played a while ago and abandoned because it's pointless and stupid. It's basically a clicker game similar to Adventure Capitalist, where you defeat monsters and whatever. It's all about optimizing optimizing your ever scrolling progress bars. Bianca's playing another one right now with ever-scrolling progress bars. They're just kind of compelling. It's like, you know, trimming a bonsai tree and stuff like that. Not much to say about Clicker Heroes. The other one that I've been playing, to my own surprise, is Far Cry 3, which is a game I bought a long time ago. I think I bought it on disc even. I don't know why. Oh, I got it as a birthday present or something. Um, I bought Far Cry 1 
and I played it, and I didn't like it. And then I bought Far Cry 2, and I played it, and I didn't like it. And then I bought Far Cry 3. Why do you keep buying them? I, that's, a, that's a question I asked myself. I bought Far Cry 3, and I thought it sucked, and I didn't play it. And now I came back to it, and it's, like, just compelling enough to sort of play quarter-heartedly. But that's as mu- it takes as much brain power as I had to give this week, so I put some time into it. Um, Far Cry 3 is the Ubisoft game. It's not an Ubisoft game. It's the only game Ubisoft knows how to make, which means that it's an open-world game where you go to a, a tower or something, and it reveals a bunch of icons on your map. And you go, go to those to icons die. on the map. Go to die. You go to the icon on the map, and you play, like, one of four little mini-games. And then you just repeat that over and over and over with some absolutely terrible story with the most idiotic characters you can possibly imagine. Those four games you play, are they a side track, or do they actually help you along your way? Or they, they have nothing to do with anything. That's a good question. So, for example, one of the little mini-games you can play is, like, you know, you climb up this radio tower, and you can see a little, um, like, a blue cross kind of a, a medical sort of an icon. You go to that icon, and there's... Uh, a jeep with like a dead body of one of your friends next to it, one of your compatriots next to it um, and you have to get into the jeep and deliver the medical supplies but it's like a race you have you have uh, 70 seconds to get to the destination so I mean this jeep has been lying there with its with its uh, important driver laying dead there for like four and a half weeks but it's got to get there within the next 70 seconds if you get there in 72 seconds, then you fail, and you have to try it again. It's just out of context and absolutely idiotic, and it's so video gamey, which is a I know is an odd criticism, but it's like arcadey, and it's like it's it's a game that that has a like a very serious dour like downer of a story, where you're, you you and your friends are on this tropical paradise, and you get kidnapped by these pirates who are going to sell you into slavery, but you escape, and you have to rescue them one by one. Oh, and above all else, so it's it, you and your friends, you're all a bunch of, like, white Americans, and you're in uh, this African country. And so when you escape, you're rescued by this one African man, and he's putting this kind of a mystical tattoo on your arm. And this tattoo is, like, what you keep augmenting. You keep adding new tattoos to it, which give you new abilities. Because like, tattoo this, power. Yeah, tattoo power. Because, like, this is this... Uh, ancient mystical African religion or whatever, they have, like, a hand grenade tattoo from the ancient mystical hand grenades, and it lets you use better hand grenades. And so you oh, are... So you, you are the great white hope that has to that has to free the, the poor uh, African villagers from their plight. They've been waiting for this American tourist to oh, save, to save all the Africans. Shut up, Joey. You bite too much. <laughs> so that's that's Far Cry 3. It's idiotic. If you want to play something completely brainless, it's got a nice engine, and the action is all right. But there's a zillion other better games you could play. I just didn't... I was at a loss for what to play this week. When I first started playing Grand Theft Auto, I was surprised when I found that there were side trips you could take that really had no... Uh, nothing to do with your progress in the game. Mm-hmm. They were just... You want to go to a movie? <laughs> you want to go here? Uh, it's interesting that uh, not all of it is goal oriented, I guess, or achievement oriented. I love that about those games. That's an interesting one because it's both open world and objective oriented. <laughs> even though it makes no sense, even though in the story there are like time sensitive urgencies that you're supposed to be 
doing post haste, and yet you have time to go to a movie or to go to the bar or go on a a, 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 a bro date or something. No, it's because you're more interested in the process than the result at that point, right? It's true. It's true. It's because really, Rockstar Games they know how to they know how to tell vignettes of a story. They don't really know how to tell a whole cohesive story. And of course, there's the whole you know autonomous player doing what they want when they want, but even so, they don't do a good job of conveying any sort of urgency. They really leave it to your own devices, which I guess works as a a game, but not really as a story. I don't know if you remember the first Medal of Honor, the story telling you that. When you say first Medal of Honor, I don't know if you mean the first Medal of Honor. The first Medal of Honor was from, like, the year 2000 Okay, the one I played first. It was simply called Medal of Honor. Oh, yes, yes. But the storytelling that was interesting. I mean, it was a goal, but it was based on sort of reality-based war that took place with uh, in the far in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the the reality, <laughs> you know, it was it was interesting because you feel like you're part of something. You're not just uh, in another dimension, sort of. It's real, right? Yeah, it was based in reality. It was grounded, at least. Somewhat. But the storytelling was good because, you know, you went to the beach and then you got on the landing gear and then you got on the plane and all that. It was all very sequential and stuff. It was sequential. It has a narrative. It just doesn't really have... If you, like, tell the whole story in, like, three sentences, it doesn't really have, like, a beginning, middle, and an end. It's all just a bunch of middle, as I recall. Which is okay. Not every game has to do that. As long as they they, they don't pretend to do that and then don't deliver. Yeah, yeah, because sometimes the story can just drop you in the middle of the events and you just tell the story from that point to, you know, the, the, the event's conclusion, but kind of leave you hanging for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, why don't we, why don't we uh, go ahead and uh, continue with the topic? So our, our topic, as we have kind of uh, come across a few times here already, is just coming, to, uh, coming into the hobby of uh, video games... I won't even say later on in life, but like it's not something that you grew up with, or it's something that you came around to after after investing yourself in other hobbies first. After considerable encouragement from Bianca too, because she was about three or four years, maybe longer, she was encouraging me to try the games. That's but nice. my memories of games were bouncing babies and the guy with the pickaxe and all these ridiculous little DOS games. I didn't understand the story or the the idea that it was stories. Oh my peasant so Beautifully pictures. colored and so on. I mean, I really started to. Enjoy it once I uh, see that. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's something my parents still don't get. They don't think that games are things with stories, or at least things that are worthwhile. I don't know if I would have done it if I was going to work every day, and I would have come home and spent four hours playing a game when I got home from work. But because I had just stopped working and I had plenty of time, I would get up and play for two or three hours in the morning, and I didn't feel like I was wasting time at all. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an important context, too, I'm sure. Yes, it is. And we put out, and so for this week's topic, we did put out a call on Twitter to which you guys all happily answered. Yay! We Yay. got responses this week. Oh, we got lots of responses. Yes. No letters, but lots of tweets and a voicemail. Yay! And this voicemail is only three minutes long. It is. Take note. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, why don't we go through these these uh, few tweets first? You want to alternate? You read the first one. Okay, sure. <laughs> Extent of the jam. Who is this again? This is Lewis Gorenfield. He's a buddy of mine on Twitter with impeccable taste in electronic music that you would despise. Okay, good. So Hello, I'm not supposed to like him. Good. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Thanks for writing, Lewis. Yeah. So he says that um, my dad was a tabletop gamer, and that's how our family got into computer games. Wait, that's, that's a... what that's what Akago says. Oh, sorry. Wait a second. It is. Oh. Oh, fuck. This is why you prepare more when you paste I the tweets into our notes. I didn't. I was just like, 
Bobby Pace, you fix it. So that's what Ac- <laughs> Fine. Well, that's what Akigo says anyway. What Lewis Gordonfield says was that his parents played It Came From the Deserts and Leisure Suit Larry 3. It Came From the Desert. I think that was a CinemaWare game. Mm-hmm. I sure love Leisure Suit Larry 3. I just finished that less than a month ago again. That was That's my favorite one of the series. Uh, Lambda Calculus says... Oh, yeah, good memories of my dad and I playing arcade racers together since I couldn't reach the pedals. Oh, that's sweet. You want to read uh, Trolls' one? Oh, uh, yeah, he gives us three tweets on this. He says that my dad and I played Lisa Shoot Suit Larry together. In retrospect, it was kind of weird. I was maybe 12 or 13. My mom never liked games, but for some reason she got very into Commodore 64 breakout clone called Blockout. <laughs> And he also, and then he further says, my dad did used to be an avid chess player until Col- Colossus Chess C64 kicked his ass. He hasn't really played since. No joke. <laughs> oh, the computer kicked his dad's butt. <laughs> yeah, Trolls is, uh, I think it was, I forget whose podcast it was on. Trolls talked about his dad, who was, uh, I think he was an engineer, like, maybe not an inventor, but a very handy guy who, like, built, built interesting machines and stuff oh, at so home cool. as a hobby. He sounded like a super cool guy. So uh, I can see how someone like that would be into chess and might be frustrated by being beaten by chess. It's pretty hard to go up against a computer in chess because they're very analytical and can consider possibilities nine moves ahead. True. And that's why you won't play chess against me, because it's like playing a Vulcan. Mm. <laughs> oh, and? And Joe from Umbo, up <clears throat> memory block, says that his dad always put down gaming, telling me to spend my time doing something useful. Then last week he watched me weekend he watched me play Uncharted Two for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I vaguely think I've heard of the name. Do you know what Uncharted Two is? Yeah, it's a PlayStation game. It's uh it's like an action adventure platformer, Indiana Jones kind of a thing, uh-huh. with a, like a mouthy smarmy verbal like vocal protagonist who uh, has a heart of gold but is a jerk still and <laughs> ends up shooting tens of thousands of people over the course of the several games. Oh, so every other fucking protagonist in existence. Pretty much. <laughs> then we have uh, tweets from Lambda Calculus, Robert Menez. Hey, Robert. He says, My mom wasn't a huge gamer, but she used to play a ton of Space Invaders <laughs> on our Atari 5200. And surprisingly, she likes the soundtrack to Skullgirls. Boy, Skullgirls has an amazing soundtrack. And, and finally, we have this from Akago. He says, ooh, I got to get in on, in on this and talk about my mom's love for KQ and the like. Oh, that's uh, King's Quest and yes. the like. And so we actually have a voicemail from Akago. So why don't I go ahead and put that on? Okay. Ah, Fart Effects Monday. Uh. Yo, Squares, I'm here at Akago here with some tales of my parents' nerdiness. Now, my parents aren't nearly the obsessive gamers that I grew up to be, but I'd like to think that they did inspire me in a significant way during my youth. Now, my memories of this time are rather fuzzy, so bear with me. From what my folks told me, it all started back in the 80s when they spent an evening at the home of an uncle of mine and he showed off his recent acquisition of home computers, which utterly fascinated my dad and mom. Dad got to playing around with a Commodore 64, while Mom had the time of her life playing Leisure Suit Larry on an IBM PC. And the rest is history. They shelled out a few thousand guilders, remember this was before we switched to Euros back in the Netherlands, and they got their first very own IBM PC. Not long thereafter, I was born one snowy Sunday. 
As I grew up, my mom developed a real kinship for Sierra Adventures. Leisure Suit Larry, King's Quest, Police Quest, Space Quest, we had all the quintessential favorites. In part thanks to our neighbors who were all too happy to let us copy their floppies, which is where we got most of our games from at the time. This did present some problems, obviously. The very first King's Quest game we ever owned, King's Quest 3, didn't come with the copy protection, so we had no way of preparing the game's magic spells and thus couldn't progress. Still, just running around the evil wizard's house and feeding the occasional chicken was entertaining enough for us at the time. Mom wasn't too fond of action games though, probably because she didn't have the reflexes or mindset for them. I remember her talking about Commander Keen and how badly it got on her nerves. But at some point, my parents actually did obtain some games in box for once. King's Quest IV and the Leisure Suit Larry Triple Pack, which contained the first three games in the series. I even have vague memories of them taking me along to the software store and me just looking in awe at all the games in box they had there and stuff being advertised on computer monitors. Now in hindsight, it's a bit odd that my mom would have so much love for a series like Leisure Suit Larry, which is so chauvinistic in nature. But when I asked her about it one time, she said she knows it's meant to be all in good fun and not to be taken too seriously. She enjoys it for all the silly gags and tricky puzzles all the same. So good on her for being open-minded. Now I haven't talked much about my dad throughout all of this, but he wasn't really into the hardcore games all that much. He was more into casual stuff like Solitaire and all that. Though there were some major exceptions to this role. I remember he played a fair bit of early first-person shooters like Wolfenstein 3D and Doom, though not for reasons you might expect. I distinctly remember he always played Doom with invincibility turned on just so he could navigate all the levels without too much fuss, cause just finding his way through them was his favorite part of the game apparently. After the mid-90s though, he kinda grew out of that whole biz and the most I see him play nowadays is stuff like Candy Crush on his tablet. Hey, he's having fun, so it's all good. My mom still waxes nostalgically about the old days though, and I've even helped her on several occasions with getting the old games running again on her newer PCs and guiding her through them. Which is good fun, as I know the games inside and out, and I can kind of serve as her personal hint line, as it were. Or take over when there's some part of the game that she can't get through. Like the bit in King's Quest 7, where you have to carry a lit firecracker in your pocket and it explodes and kills you every few steps. Anyway, that's pretty much all I wanted to share for this week, so Brian, Bianca, and Joey, keep being awesome, and remember, save early, save often. Oh, thank you very much, Akigo. That was a great, uh, that was a great voicemail. Really good to hear about uh, your parents and their involvement in the hobby. That is super duper cool of your mom to kind of understand the spirit of Leader Suit Larry. I kind of feel the same way, that it's easy to be offended by fiction with saucy subject matter. So you kind of have to understand the context and the intent of the author. Not, not that they're trying to offend, but that they're just kind of poking fun mm-hmm. at, uh, at sensitive topics. So I think that's very, very... very Although yeah, the cool. uh, one where it's Larry goes to university or whatever, that's kind of just unnecessarily launchy. Oh, that's right. That, that game, the last two Leisure Suit Larry games that were ever made, were made by another company who owned the rights to the Leisure Suit Larry title, but did not involve uh, Al Lowe, the original creator, in any way. I believe Al Lowe found out about those games when they were launched, not when they were being developed. Yeah. So he had nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, that's... Those were almost unnecessarily launching, almost overly sexual, whereas the ones preceding it were sexual, but there was a lot more of a, subtle t- a subtleness to them, even if, you know, he's strapped to the fucking bed. Yeah. Well, as I've, as I've said before, the objective of the of those newer kind of unofficial, non-canonical Leisure Suit Larry games was just to get laid. But the motivation of the protagonist in the original ones is, you know, he may, he may get laid, but he finds it unfulfilling because his real objective is to find true love. Yeah, and he, and he finds it with passionate Patty, right? Yes, that he does. <laughs> Who wouldn't with a name like that? An interesting comment in the voicemail you played. 
about, I think he said his dad looked or fought the urge to ask for help when he hit a difficult level. And I had to fight that urge too, because there were times when, you know, literally, I would tell you, I've been here for three days, right? <laughs> three days. And, one, and only once did I actually resort to help. I went and got some screenshots from YouTube of how to get through a particularly mm-hmm. difficult part of Ravenscroft, I think. Happens to every gamer. But I, much to my credit, I went and I looked. I didn't copy it. All I did was I waited and I saw where he went. And then I went that way. And then I encountered the, the bosses, whatever. And I had fought my own fight. But... I just finally gave in and said, I need help. Yeah, that's what most of the time, that's what looking up a walkthrough really does. It yeah. just points you in the right direction because all you really need to know is how do I get over that one hurdle? Yeah. I don't want them to tell me how to play the game. I just want to be, I just want to see how they got around this because yeah. obviously I'm not, I tried everything but the right way. Yep. Yeah. Well, some games we play for challenge and some games we play just to find out how the story ends and some games we start one way and end up the other way. So. It's their their game. They're supposed to be fun. Games that aren't a challenge where you just sort of sit there and ride along or something. I don't even know if it's a game, but audio surf. But you don't really play a game. You queue it up and tee it up, and then you go along for the ride. And you have to maneuver your uh, little rocket ships as you go along. Mm -hmm. But that's a nice ride. Why don't we talk about that? What is it that you like about audio surf? Because that was one of the first games you ever played, as I recall. Uh, not necessarily music, because you can play any music. I mean, it's fun to play the tunes you want to use, especially if you find something that has fast and slow tempo. That's really good. But I just like—I think I like that it was so quick too. It's a five-minute shot. It's like a, a quick fix, right? Exactly. And I like the—I really like the colors. I like the way the the little streams came off the tail of the little flying craft, and I like the way the stars, especially the colored stars, would go off when you hit the right combination or if you dodged a certain number of oncoming uh, nasties. I really like the vibe of it, just the feel of it. You know? The yeah, well music said. was nice because I could play but as often as not I didn't even play my favorite music with it because my favorite music wasn't necessarily the music that made the game the most enjoyable. Mm-hmm. One of the things I put on was a piece of classical music. You wouldn't have thought, but it went fast and slow and then it almost oh, yeah. petered out all the... And then I got really going fast. Oh, those high strings. I think it might, I don't even, it might have been a bit Vivaldi or something. Oh, yes. <laughs> those class, some of those classical pieces, you think that they're slow, but they actually wind up being really fast. I think it's like the vibration, the oscillation of some of the string instruments. That really make it go very fast. Maybe it has similar properties to fast percussion or something, the well, vibrations. Forget rock and roll or, or speed metal or techno or anything. One of the fastest beats in the world is called double time swing, which a drummer has to learn. And it's what you hear It's uh, like at the beginning of a, a saxophone and a horn thing. You, if you could hear how many beats, cymbal and snare and foot pedal, foot uh, bass drum beats, these guys are cranking out. It's phenomenal, the speed of that. And you yeah. don't hear it reflected in the music because we hear the top levels, right? Hmm. Double time swing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good one. You remember we bought, uh, we bought um, Audio Surf for uh, your your uh, mother's ex-husband. Mark, yeah. yeah I don't know if he ever Which one? sneezed at it. <laughs> 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 well, both, I guess. <laughs> 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 yeah. I wasn't going to go there, but... <laughs> uh, yeah, so... He, well, it, took with one of them and, it took with one of them and not so much with the other, it seems. Yeah. Although like on, on the other guy's computer, um, we won't mention names, but uh, I, I, I think we got like two frames a second or something. That was not a gaming computer. That was like a chokes on Microsoft Excel computer. <laughs> we, we thought we were doing him a favor because he's such a big uh, music mm-hmm. fan, but... No interest whatsoever. Yeah, especially since he made a promise to my mother to learn how to play the guitar for X anniversary or something. Never happened. 
guitar sat there. Hmm. Well, that's a big. Uh, that's a big task. So yeah, oh, I, I I've described uh, Audio Surf as the closest my computer has come to dancing to my music. I, I, Again, it does a lot of it for you. That's so what I like about it. It's like you're playing with it rather than against it. Sort of, it's fun. Mm-hmm. I love it. And it understands your music in a certain <laughs> I way. Enjoyed that one. Yeah, I did too. Well, you want to ask your dad anything? Um, do you recall when you first tried World of Warcraft? Oh, yeah, I had a lot of... My biggest difficulty with Warcraft, believe it or not, and this is what people face, whether they're young or older when they first started playing, was simply navigating. Remember, I'd constantly be looking up at the sky or up down at my feet, or I couldn't even find the orientation mm-hmm. correctly. Just the idea of using the keys and the, the mouse controller at the same time was baffling. Yeah. But what really, again, impressed me about Gitling was the, just the beauty of the... The art direction, the the visuals were just so awesome. The brightness of those pink and purple hues and the blue skies yeah, and really the animals, do. the flying, the birds and stuff. That's what really I liked that game. But my first impressions of it were, uh, I even now, the one thing I wasn't crazy about was that the the action is a little slower, you know, where you'll have to kill the boss. you got to give him 15 or 20 shots before you take him out and you stand there and then you may bring in another spell or... But that was what I didn't really get into. But I love the characters. I loved especially when you flew on the, your uh, your loyal steed, you know, your bird. Or your, that was great. The visuals. I think that's part of the PY so popular because the way it looks on your monitor more than anything else. Oh, sure. Just beautiful colors. Wow. Um, I, and do you remember uh, texting me, uh, calling me about a couple of a-holes when you were playing? About... <laughs> Oh, a couple of a-holes, but in the game? Yeah. That I didn't like? Yeah, that they were coming over and harassing you. <laughs> yeah, we might have known them. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh, right, right, yeah, that's, I'm sorry, the characters in the game that I didn't realize were you and, uh, <laughs> you and Demodulated here. That's right, I thought, who are these people? I thought it was some guy from Cleveland or something. I was getting all upset about Americans, all of a sudden. <laughs> and they mind their own, but... But then it turns out it's you, yeah. I think we were kind of prancing around him in our gigantic... Oh, that's right. You were doing that thing where you just jump up and down, right? Try to get my attention like a bird or something. It was quite funny, but then I finally processed all the information and realized who was the guilty party. Yeah. But I don't know if we could leave this without without me mentioning the first thing that I started to think was fun about games is when you used to make the the, the peasant squishing sounds, remember? Because oh, yeah. our rooms were adjacent and mm-hmm. I'd be going to sleep at night like a normal person, of course, you know. Hey, I was a teenager. She's up about three expect? in the morning. But now I'd be trying to sleep and I'd go, <laughs> <laughs> And that was Civilization? Uh, no, that was probably Age of Empires Age, and, and every time Warcraft. she squished a peasant that made this dying peasant fart sound like they were all made out of natural gas or like (laughs) so I'd be banging on the wall like some guy on a cheap sitcom on TV trying to get her to stop this right (laughs) but she couldn't hear me (laughs) (laughs) but that was when I realized there might be some fun involved in these games not totally serious that they were meant for amusement yeah Yeah, and you also got me my first Warcraft game that was nice to me yeah, you got me the Warcraft chess with Warcraft chess, which got which, in which I played uh, Warcraft Two: Tides of Darkness, and in Warcraft Two: Dark Portal. But much to your credit, you encouraged me and persisted with it, and it's almost like when I encourage you to go to training. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't 
have to drive the nail home every day for the message to get through to someone. If you think they might enjoy something, you plant the seed like you did with me, and I kept coming back. I thought, you guys seem to be having a lot of fun. Yeah, it's just, and, and it it's, must be a reason you do it. And it's, hey, do you want to try this? Yeah, not, hey, you got to do this, right? <laughs> so, uh, but those peasant squishers, I think that was my first real sense of what gameplay was all about. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I send my army in and I kill the peasants. Pretty much like real life. The army comes in, massacres the village, and it pillages it. That's what I did. Now, I'm trying to remember if you played games before we moved to uh, the 416. Did you? We had uh, Nintendo. Well, you didn't have actual what we would consider the games now, no. Great console games, yeah. That, that, those are still considered games, but not yeah, PC. But not PC games, yeah. Oh yeah, we don't we don't we other, restrict our topics. The other funny thing I found about playing games at my age, right, was I was up at uh, this pub up the road one day, and I was sitting there in the afternoon. I was talking to the just before dinner, talking to the bartender. And he was a guy about your age, right? And he started talking about a game, and I started talking about a game. He was quite surprised, right? <laughs> and then we started talking about Half Life Two, and we're talking about the characters, you know. And with the, the head crabs and stuff, and he was kind of surprised that I was that into it. Right? That's cool. But I, I, I mean, age attributing uh, age to a particular activity just doesn't add up anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's, you know, it, it should be for everybody, and it gives you something to talk about too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it gave me something to talk about with you. Not that I need it, but it's nice yeah. to have a common interest. Yeah. Yeah, it goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, some games are specifically marketed to a demographic, just like a book, because, I mean, you can't just say, I have a game, sell it. You have to say, here's who my intended audience is. Mm-hmm. But you were never a big TV person, you know what I mean? And so we never talked about television. I was sort of a TV person, but I wasn't. But it was nice to have a, a modern sort of tech activity that we both, uh, and it wasn't like I was doing it just to be nice. I was actually getting into it, and I still am. But had you not told me, and you too, I never would have tipped the scales and said, oh, I think I'm going to play Half-Life. I never would have. Mm -hmm. Never. Well, I think uh, what I... uh, When when you were just first starting to get uh, into uh, computer gaming, or at least Mm -hmm. were open to the possibility of participating Mm -hmm. in the hobby, I installed a bunch of games on your computer, and I think it was a Mm -hmm. variety of things. I think we gave you Peggle, which was one, and that's a really easy one to just kind of get right away and to play for a moment. Yeah, you gave me a bundle of sorts. I did. So a couple of ones I gave you... The demodulated bundle. The demodulated (laughs) bundle, sure. The (laughs) not-so-humble. A lot of those were like very narrative-driven games. There was one that I I gave to you, and I don't know if I heard about, and I've been begging Bianca to play, and she won't play Full Throttle, which is a game... It's like a narrative-based game where you play as this, uh, this big, tough biker... And it's a whole kind of a, a mystery having to do with uh, with uh, motorcycles and uh, scumbag bikers and the scum of the earth, and it's I, in this vaguely sci-fi kind of a setting. I did start that game, but that was when I had hard drive or motherboard problems, and it kept breaking down. Ah. And I believe it or not, I guess I forgot to go back to it once I got my new hardware. Well, Maybe I will. Because I know you really liked it. You said very good things to it. You kept encouraging. Play that one, play that one. Oh, it's an awesome game, and it has awesome voice actors, including Mark Hamill. Oh, yeah. But I did get into the first level, but it just kept breaking down. Oh, work. fair enough. Yeah, that makes it... Mark taller. Hamill. Okay. Mark Hamill did uh, acting in quite a few video games, but that one in particular, Full Throttle, was made by a company called LucasArts, which was owned by George Lucas. Okay. So I guess they already had that relationship, but okay. Mark Hamill's probably one of the best voice actors you're going to find anywhere. He's amazingly talented. Huh? Was Michael Dorn in that, or was that something else he was Michael in? Michael Dorn was oh, in... Gabriel Knight. Gabriel Knight, and so was Mark Hamill, actually. 
and uh, Tim Curry. Uh, who did? Oh, Tim Curry played Gabriel, right? Correct. Oh yeah, didn't and didn't he have to adopt a southern twang to do that? Yeah, he tried to adopt, and with the uh, emphasis on tried, a uh, New Orleans Southern USA accent, which is hilarious to hear a British guy. It's pretty do. tricky. It's a little painful, and it's very charming. Mm-hmm. So. As long as you just go with it, it's fantastic. Well, in New Orleans and in Louisiana, the letter R becomes it doesn't become O I like it does in New York, where they be, they say I hoid it. Mm-hmm. But it's like the word bird. It's not bird. It's not boy. It's like the bird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bird. I got new bird. It's a very beautiful. And when you hear them speak in French, there's a keyboard player named Doctor John. Name's actually Max Rellenbeck, but he goes by Dr. John. <laughs> but the first time you hear him speak in French, he says, Come on, Salvat. <laughs> she got that southern accent. It's beautiful. That sounded uncannily like Tim Curry's right? <laughs> New Orleans okay. thing. You really have to see this for yourself. That's a great game, too. It's like kind of a supernatural mystery game with fantastic voodoo. dialogue about voodoo. Yeah, I love that game like crazy. Well, just got to put the word voodoo in anything, and it sounds good. Yeah. I suppose so. Voodoo Child, Voodoo Lounge, Voodoo, you know, I'll play that shirt. It's Voodoo. <laughs> and Michael Dorn, uh, a.k.a. Commander Worf, he plays a guy named Dr. John in that game. Oh, that's a good gag. Good oh. joke, man. Yeah, I don't know if that was a, a reference to a musician or what, but being New Orleans, perhaps. Probably, I'm sure, yeah. Well, again, Dr. John was a New Yorker who moved, I think. Mm-hmm. So... Now that you're now that now that you've kind of incorporated mm-hmm. video gaming as as uh, a hobby, sometimes more frequently than others, like what do you what do you get out of it? Is it something that you like to? What do you prefer? Do you like to invest yourself in something that's a, a game that lasts for weeks or months, or do you like just kind of quick pick up and uh, instant gratification? Oh, no, I like the longer games. I like a game that takes a week or two to to finish. I don't want to rip through something in a few days. What I get out of it. Uh, well, it teaches you patience. That sounds corny, but it does teaches you patience and repetition and just like training in a sport or a martial art or anything else. You don't get it the first time. Practice, repetition, and yeah, even though you get frustrated, you got to tell yourself, you're going to get through this and then it's going to get really good. It's a funny uh, thing to, again, to get to my age and not have the patience you should have. You figure sooner or later you're going to learn to just wait for things to happen. But it really... Honest to goodness, it does teach you patience. Just hanging on, don't, don't worry, nothing's going to go wrong here. That's a good one. Yeah. And F5 is your best friend. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that it is. Well, if it works, some of the earlier, some of the games didn't save. Oh, that's right. Well. Or as you mentioned, and I know it's happened to me in that very game, uh, Call of Duty United Offensive, it just so happens that you save somewhere. While, right while there happens to be, unbeknownst yeah. to you, a bullet under it to your face. Yeah, and then you got to go back. I don't like and that. you got to go well, way Again, I told you that's where I am now. I'm literally, I come up the ladder, stick my head out, and someone shoots me. <laughs> yeah. I don't even get a chance to reload. We've all been there. <laughs> well, do you have any other questions, Hun? I don't think so. I think I'm good on that one. Hmm. I guess the only other question is, is it more difficult to play a game... When you have a budgie on your monitor or a conure on your monitor. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a lot more difficult to play when you have a conure biting your, your space bar thumb, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, wanting to rest in the uh, hand like this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I When my left hand is resting on my keyboard, Joey will stand on my thumb and kind of nuzzle underneath my hand between oh, the keyboard and my fingers. Very easy. Which is very irresistible, but kind of counter to my current objective. Yeah. So you gotta learn. So you gotta. For when that happens, you have to have a one-handed game ready to go. That's right. Have your budgies gotten in the way of you? 
doing this oh, stuff? They would come and sit on the top of the monitor and their tails would hang up. <laughs> sort of hope that nothing's going to go wrong while they're up there. But it's a bit of a distraction. And then, like you, they would climb on my keyboard, climb on my hand, climb up your arm when you're trying to aim and stuff. <laughs> uh, it's better than a cat. It should sit right in the middle of the keyboard. <laughs> yeah, right. It was sit on your hands. <laughs> Or walk on it. But I, all in all, I was glad, really glad that you started me off on gaming because the thing is, I would do in the, in the evening, right? Being a non cable TV person, something you also occurs. Sometimes I'll say, okay, I can play my music, I can play guitar, I can play a video game, I could watch Netflix, I could read, I could do these things. But gaming is always one of the things that's on that list, and that list did not used to include that. So it's a nice way to spend time. Well, glad to hear it. Yeah. Well, welcome to the club. Yeah, welcome yeah. to the club. Welcome to the club. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I, I hope this isn't like that Woody Allen joke about I wouldn't want to be a member of any club that would have me yeah, exactly. as a member. But <laughs> maybe that's true here today. I don't know. This if is a so, club that has us, so obviously there's nothing there's uh it's got room for a couple of more. <laughs> yeah, worst case we'll be pariahs together. Plus I've got a lot of great technical support from you and Bianca with whether the game simply needs you know, to be reinstalled or what have you, or to, whether it was technical issues, technical issues with my actual computer, but that, again, it's a big help. I don't know if I would have done it on my own, too. I wouldn't. That is a bit of a barrier. And the funny thing is I never played EA Hockey, EA Baseball, EA NFL. Yeah. I never played any of those games, which you would have thought. But no, that's a different thing for me. That's something I would look at on TV, or it's a game I would play in person. You know, I'd sooner play hockey than play a game of it, so... We should set you up with that, though, just to... What your beak in that if you if you would be interested? I know you had a, a passing fancy with uh, racing games for a bit. You had a oh, steering wheel. You God, I used to love those old. Uh, this was old, like nineteen ninety, right? Oh yeah. We had a steering wheel and we had this floppy disk. Was it for the Formula One racing? We had a CD-ROM, a CD-ROM, and a Gravis gamepad, and the stick broke. That's right. But I actually did buy the steering wheel with the accelerator and the brake pedal and everything. Mm-hmm. And I found out later that Jacques Villeneuve, the Canadian world champion Formula One driver, he used the simulator before he went to the racetracks. Oh, to learn the tracks? Yeah. Huh. And so, I mean, that doesn't I mean it's a great uh, you know recommendation for the game, but that was really fun. I really enjoyed that. That's probably before computer games, before the, you know, the PC-based games. I really got into that I know, and I know we had the Formula One. Uh, we had Formula Grand Prix. My micro pros for our uh, Pentium One. Yeah. Oh, I think and I we had. That. Uh, you could have, but it was it was so real because you'd see someone coming up behind you in your mirror, and if you weren't careful, next thing you know, you were in the ditch. Right? It was as if you were right up there with all these good people, and you were a hacker, or a useless player, right? Fortress of words, but Grand Prix. Yeah. I played one of these. But I eventually threw away the steering wheel and the foot pedals. I think when we moved here to from uh, that other place. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, that's a, yeah. This is the one I played. World Circuit. That's a real old one. Uh, no, mine was looked a little more realistic. Yeah, ours was a little more realistic. Let's see. But I've heard everything from flight simulators to automobiles, where people use these things really. Oh yeah, Brian has flight simulators. Oh, that looks good. That first top left camera. Oh yeah, man. Well, this is from. This is an old game already. 1999. Man, that's almost 20 years old. That looks amazing, actually. Yeah, race car racing has been something that uh, computer game designers have done very, very well for a very long time. Just because it's all about simulation and physics and number crunching and stuff like that. So even even in the 90s, they had factors like 
tire temperature and uh, how inflated your tires are and the material your tires are made of. And you know, it's funny, I can even remember there was a point where when the gas went down in your tank, your vehicle became lighter. It was, they even took that into account, the weight of the fuel and stuff. Yeah, and then you had to go into the pit to refuel. Indy 500, when was that from? Moby, Indy 500, or Indy Racing 500? This is it. 1989. That's the game. Yeah. That's a game that I played. Well, and that's it's roughly the vintage of what I was playing. No, oh, and it, it changed the weight of your car based on the amount yeah. of fuel in your tank. It was nuts. This was a really fun game. My extent of this game was I would uh, turn on indestructible mode and I would race the other way around the, the <laughs> oval than everyone else. Uh, like how old were you? Four or five? No, what I would do that with the Euro... I would do that with with the Euro Truck Simulator, too. If I ever ever got stuck in Euro Truck Simulator, I would simply drive headfirst into the nearest oncoming vehicle so I could crash. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they added, like, they added that tire stuff so you can actually improve your tires in that game now. I should go back to that. That game's fun. Ugh, I need to go back to the uh, American Truck Simulator, but my save game got corrupted, so seven and a half hours of trucking gone kaput. That's an interesting thing. I have had games get corrupted on me. Where the game simply doesn't work anymore. It happens. Mm-hmm. And I even downloaded and reinstalled them, and it still didn't work. Mm. Interesting. One of them was Medal of Honor. Yeah. I mean, I finished the game, fortunately, but when I went back a year later to play it, kept crapping out on all of them. Yeah, I had similar issues lately, having, not having played a game in a long time. I think I had to, like, right-click it in Steam and say, verify the game. Oh, yeah, that was uh, Cash- Black Ops 2. Yeah, that's right. They're the one that you saw me playing. Recently, I didn't even talk about that because I don't. I don't. That game wasn't as much fun as I hoped it would be. But um, yeah, it, uh, I thought it was fine. I thought it was installed fine, but it was crashing on me. So I did the verify game cache and I downloaded like 170 it? files or something. So I was running into some kind of issue. I don't know. It happens. Well, I guess they break down again. That's a lot of data to transmit from one place to another. I'm actually, sure. precisely every time. Any machine isn't perfect. All right. Well, is that all the questions we have for our esteemed guest? I'm pretty sure that's it. All right. Well, we thank you very, very much for joining us. This yeah. is a pleasure. Always my pleasure to be here. It was fun. Oh, good. Glad to hear it. Mm-hmm. So do this again sometime. That's awesome. Of course. We'd love to have you back. Yep. So? And do you have anything you want to plug so people can reach you if they're interested? If you want anything other than my followers? <laughs> well, I'll have, a, I'll have a new song or two on SoundCloud next time, and I can refrain and go listen to my tunes. Oh, cool. But I have one on there now, but I'm going to re-record it. But, uh, yeah, I'll be happy to plug that. Oh, sure. So you said you have SoundCloud. We have... What is it? Your SoundCloud. Oh, he, he, when he's ready, he can give well, it to I have, us. I have posted a, a, I had posted a song on SoundCloud, but I decided to re-record it because I just recorded it on my telephone. But I'm going to get my processor and record it properly and add okay. a couple of tracks and then get it back up there for the whole world to enjoy. Oh, sure. So we'll be glad to put a link to that if you, if you wish when, when it's ready. If it sounds country, it is. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks. This was a gas. Thank yeah, you very much. Thanks a lot. Well, do you want to take us on home there, babe? Okay. So thanks for listening to, uh, to our podcast. Next week, we will not be podcasting because we have a couple of guests coming in to actually visit us from out of town and we're busy on Thursday to go see the new Warcraft movie on opening day with uh, Joe from um, from Memory Block and Friday we're having dinner with uh, Brian's father so de yep (laughs) (laughs) so we got a jam-packed agenda next weekend what are you doing on Saturday? 
Oh, two of my cousins are coming into town, and I'm... Your uh, cousin and her husband? Yeah, Yeah. and I'm uh, trying on dresses. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bridesmaid in this... uh, well, didn't like last time you did, I think you got the first one, didn't you? What? The first dress you tried on last time was was good, wasn't it? For the other wedding, no. Um, I tried. I just went to one location, tried on a few, and it took me like ten minutes yeah, or so. so. I was lucky, Hopefully and no. it was on clearance. So I I went. I got a, a dress that was originally one hundred and fifty dollars for like forty. The tax. It looked great. Mm-hmm. There's a square pleats FM. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we got these uh, cousins of mine coming into town. So we'll be busy. Yeah, so and so you'll get a week off from listening to us ramble about complete nonsense, and then we'll be back the next week with hopefully a good topic of interest. Oh, yeah, we came up with a good topic for that one. Yeah. So we'll, we'll announce that when we're ready. Yeah. And we have to have a great big thank you to Akago for his voicemail and to everyone who sent us uh, tweets and stories about their parents. That was awesome to hear. I didn't talk about my parents, by the way, but that's okay. My parents played... My parents would borrow my Game Boy to play Tetris, and one year I I uh, bought them for their anniversary Dr. Mario to play on our Nintendo. Oh, and, and they played... They played it every day for like an hour and a half. Every day for, I think, like two years or something. <laughs> and that game has two songs, but they would only listen to one. And I could hear it anywhere in the house. So I'm pretty sure... I don't know if that was revenge or preemptive revenge, but I know that I deserved... Being disturbed by computer game sounds, so I, I'll take that one for the team. But they they haven't really been into video games, so that's my that's my abbreviated story. Yeah. So, so now that you know that we're not going to be here next week, we, you have two weeks to send us any voicemails or emails that you want to. So you damn well better. Yep. Yeah. So you can find us on the web or squarefm.demodulated.com by email squarefm@demodulated.com. Or on Twitter, we are at SquareWavesFM. Yep. So thanks a bunch for listening. Thanks once again to our guest, uh, John, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. Yep. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.